Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. People we really love, when we see them get hurt, it's very hard to prevent or stop ourselves from pulling them out of that situation. Because as soon as we pull them out, now they don't have enough experience or wisdom to stay out. Because we pulled them out early. Hi, I'm Miss Danielle, and this is Help a Human Out. So good to be back after our break. I'm glad that last week you got to hear from my very best friend in the world, best friend Claire. If you haven't listened to that episode, it's a doozy. She found a whole sister on the internet. It's true. You should listen to it, by the way. On today's episode, we are going to be answering a question from one of our listeners, Kenzie. Hi, Miss Danielle and the Help a Human Out team. My question is, how do you help and support loved ones who are in abusive relationships? For details and context, my mom has been in this volatile relationship with a guy who suffers and struggles with an alcohol addiction. And specifically back in November or December, I was talking with my mom and she very casually mentioned that about a week prior, she had gone over to his place and had gone to the bathroom and realized that his mouthwash was much lower than it was when she first got there that day. And then he ended up getting violent with her and left a couple of bruises on her and whatnot. And of course, it terrified me, but she just shrugged it off and said that if it happened again, she would call the police, but she was able to handle herself this last time. And to this day, they're still together. And I I cannot bring myself to interact with him or talk to him or even look at him. And I openly tell my mom how I feel about the situation and she just kind of shrugs it off. And unfortunately, this isn't the first time my mom has been in an abusive relationship. She's even ended up in the hospital a couple of times when I was a kid. So as an adult, I don't know what to do. How do I help her? How do I support her in this time? And what is there that I can do? Thank you so much. Kinsey's story is definitely one of those stories that when I heard it, I said, oh, this sounds a little too familiar. And those stories are never good. I too grew up with um, a mom who kind of enabled abuse, the abuse of my dad. And so this one hit close to home. I am not the expert, though. The expert we're bringing in to talk to Kenzie, to help Kenzie, is Paul Coliani. He has his own podcast about love and abuse and the overwhelmed brain. Hello, Paul. Help us all, please. He's a behavior and relationship coach, author, and speaker. And today he is here to help Kenzie, to help all of us really, figure out a situation like this. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Paul Coliani. 
Okay, Paul, um, Kinsey is in a situation. She is very invested in this situation because it's her mom. You heard her question. Tell us how we help Kinsey, please. First of all, Kinsey, I can absolutely relate to what you're going through. My mom was married to an alcoholic, abusive alcoholic for about 40 years. And so the first 20 or so years of my life, I had to grow up in that environment. And um, I think what your message is telling me is that you're no longer, I think that's what she said, you're no longer in the home, but you want to be supportive to your mom in that case. Uh, I think it's important to know when I moved out of my house, uh, there's about five of my siblings or four of my siblings that were supportive of my mom. And most of us were saying, you need to get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. She stayed married and we were telling her, you need to get out of that situation and we're here to help. And I would offer her a place to live. I would offer her money. I would offer her transportation. I would be there to move all her stuff out. And no matter how hard we tried to help her get out of that situation, something overrode whatever was going on in her life that caused her to stay. Would it be, even if everyone is saying, okay, mom, leave or please leave, and ultimately she doesn't, there's got to be a reason why people are, are they, they stay, right? Like there's got, we can do everything, but until mom is ready, isn't that really what it comes down to? Like mom has to be ready. Like all the kids are going to say, come on, mom, let's get out of here. You know, Paul, you and I and Kenzie actually have a lot in common. Oh, okay. I, I too was raised by, um, may he rest in peace, my father, who was an alcoholic, um, an abusive alcoholic. Oh, wow. Uh, thank God the last 10 years of my dad's life, um, there was a lot of healing, right? But I was mad at my mom for a long time, mm-hmm. almost more than my dad, mm-hmm. because I expected more of her. I wanted her to leave. And so I guess my question, and, I, and I'm assuming, you know, Kinsey's probably, I can hear it in Kinsey's voice. She's kind of like, you know, she keeps getting into this pattern, this situation. This isn't the first time she's been in this relationship. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering with your experience as well, Paul, does the person who's being abused have to be ready to go? Because so many of us can want to pull them out of a situation, but ultimately we can't do anything to help them, right? Unless they're ready. I mean, you're, you're right on target. And that's exactly where I'm going with this is that you can beg them, you can plead with them, you can offer them every single resource in the world, but something is overriding their ability to make healthy decisions for them. Or at least mm-hmm. let me interpret that into what we believe are healthy decisions for them. And what we did with my mom over and over, year after year after year, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but my sister used to call my mom and say, is he dead yet? And wow, I would kind of laugh inside because we know what she's going through. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's, you can tell what all of us have been through with that and what my mom was still dealing with. So I absolutely agree that there's a point that they need to get to. I call it threshold where they finally have had enough. Mm. They've had enough. And they often don't get there because they get comfortable knowing what's coming instead of not knowing what to expect after they leave. Wow. that's a, Okay. I want to pause you there for a second because mm. that is such a powerful statement. And I think a lot of people don't understand that because there's still this huge stigma where, you know, 
I had it. As a kid, I, I remember thinking that my mom was weak because mm. she didn't leave. Now I realize <laughs> that my mom actually had this immense fear that he would kill us. Yeah. Literally. Wow. Um, now, he didn't. I'm glad we're all here. But there was a lot of abuse that was inflicted in, into our family. And so I get, I just remember being so, why, why, do, why do we get angry at the victims instead of the abuser? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I, I think what, has, what happens often in abusive relationships is we, uh, let's just say that you're a child and one of your parents is abusing you. And then you grow up and you go into the adult world and you're living your own life and you forgive the abuser, but you can't seem to stop being angry at the husband or wife of the abuser or the partner of the abuser who didn't protect you. And I think that's mm -hmm. what comes into play is that we feel that they should have done more because they were the healthy one. They should have done yeah. more because they, I, I should be important to them. I should have meant something to them and let, and yet you let that person abuse me for so long. So the anger is pointed or anger upset, whatever it is, is pointed at the person who didn't do anything. I've seen that often, even with sexual abuse. People who are really awful violators are, were forgiven or at least it, it wasn't, con they weren't considered uh, and they, they weren't always thought about as opposed to the other person, the victim of that same abuse who was constantly on that person's mind. So you get out of that situation and now you're thinking about all of the times that that person could have protected you and they didn't. So all that upset goes toward them. And I think mm. you highlighted that they were a victim too. Yeah. And they may not have been a victim of the same stuff, but they were either so embroiled in fear or just not knowing what to do in fear for their life. And they also could have done things for a reason to, to protect you in their own way. And that's often not seen as well. Like, I just wanted you to live. I just wanted you to survive. And I knew if he was beating you, he wasn't killing you. And that's a terrible thing for me to even say. But mm -hmm. it does seem like that happens quite often, is that the, wow. the person that is being victimized in other ways is also doing things to protect not only themselves, but the other person. That doesn't always happen. Yeah. So, sometimes there's different dynamic going on, but yeah, the, the victim is always doing what they can to survive and then trying to protect the other person. And of course, they're in an unhealthy space themselves. They're in a very toxic environment themselves. They're probably not thinking straight. They're probably very foggy and it is difficult. And I think it is difficult for a lot of victims in abusive relationships to forgive bo both people, the person who abused and the person who, quote, should have done something to protect them. Yeah, and if absolutely. You can, if you can get it beyond that, if you can find in your heart that they were a victim too and then talk about it, what ends up happening is that you can end up supporting each other. It doesn't always work out, but it's a great uh, comment that you brought up that that does happen a lot. It's interesting to me because um, one of the things you said that stood out to me was um, a lot of times, you know, the the victim is doing whatever they can do to survive, right? And I think what people don't realize, hell, I if we're going to be transparent, I think what I didn't realize um, 
is that sometimes staying is actually survival, which seems like major cognitive dissonance, right? But if a person can can beat you and manipulate you and make you fear like that, it is a logical thought to think that they might harm you even worse. So that the trying to leave is scary too, right? So the stigma of it all is kind of mind-blowing to me when people, well, why didn't they just leave? And I think that sometimes we forget as outsiders looking in that like sometimes that really, the staying is, is the survival piece for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I, that's another one you hit on the head. It's just like, you have so much fear, you have no idea what to expect if you leave, even though mm. there are people there that could protect you. You know, I think it's important to have a solid support system no matter what. And coming back to Kinsey's uh, point or question regarding, you know, what can I do to help support this person, my mom, I found, and this is what I did, I found that the best way to do it is back off. And in a way, in a way that- Which is hard. It's so hard to do, Paul. (laughs) As a former uh, people pleaser myself, um, and trying to help people as much as I can, hating to see them in pain, uh, it it was very difficult for me to, to decide to back off. But it came to a point where I realized- Every time I mentioned that she should leave and I can help you and I'll do everything I can to help you, she she would always be in the space of, I know, I know, I need to, I know, I, I need to do it, but I, I'm just, I don't know, I don't know why. And I realized I was actually forcing her to be resistant of her own empowering thoughts to leave herself. And the more, wow. I, the more I presented a way out, the, the worse the worst it got, the, the more resistance she got. And so I started backing off. In fact, I backed off completely and I told myself, I'm not going to mention it anymore. I'm not going to say, hey, if you need, you know, I'm not going to say you need to leave, but I am going to approach it. If you ever need me, call me. And that's one of the things yeah. I'm thinking about with Kinsey is that if she can be a support person that says, I'm here, I will drop everything Whenever you need me, 24-7, I will be there for you. Uh, just let me know. And then drop it. Don't say, if he hurts you, if he does this, if he does that, just say, I'm here for you whenever you need me. And mm-hmm. then talk about something that, that they enjoy or absolutely the conversation. Absolutely. I think also because of like isolation, right? You said once you you keep talking to your mom about the same thing, you do risk that chance of her isolating and what Kinsey wants, what you wanted, Paul, and what I definitely wanted was to always just know that my mom was safe. And if I isolate her to the point where if I ask or I'm I'm constantly, you got to leave, you got to leave, I might be the one she cuts off, actually, not the person she needs to cut off. Such a great point. And that's scary. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's really a great point. I mean, I noticed that with my mom is that in, it, was, it was more of a uh, an isolation in my presence where... I would say, hey, I'm here to help you. What do you need? Let's get you out of here. We can move out tonight. And she would be like, uh, she'd change the subject. So she would start isolating herself from that subject. And the more that happened, I I can tell the more resistant she was about it. And even though she would call me, you know, at random times crying about how awful he is, I stayed in that space of just listening. And I think that's another important step in this is that you provide a safe, non-judgmental space for them to say anything they want. 
anything at all. If she says, you know, I can't stand it, I want to leave tonight, you, you, you don't really, you, you let them come up with the plan. What can mm-hmm. I do? You said you can help me. Can you help me now? I think it's important to have this open, non-judgmental, safe space for them to vent and say anything because what that ends up doing is it allows them to feel safe with you because as long as you're trying to push uh, hard decisions on them to make, they don't feel safe. They feel less safe with you because you're trying to push decisions on them that you want them to make, but they're not ready to make. So they actually feel less safe opening up to you because of that. And so her mom is in this position where she can't feel safe with the person she's with. And now she has this person who loves her and supports her and wants her to, wants to help her, but she also can't feel safe opening up all the way because as soon as we talk about her husband, it's all about, well, you need to leave him and I'm here for you. The best way you can be there for someone is to let them be themselves around you. Let them vent, let them cry, whatever it is, and be upset, but don't push them in any direction. And then when they open the door and say, I need help, what do I, what can I do? Then the door is open for you. And I, I like to look at it that way, that visual. When they open the door, you walk through it and say, I'm here. Yeah. What Step right in. Yeah. First of all, you're extremely knowledgeable. And I have this little feeling that maybe you got involved in the work that you do because of the situation you saw growing up. <laughs> uh, yes, I laugh because that's basically my entire uh, breadth of work on emotional abuse and manipulation and control is um, the laughing part is about all my dysfunctions that I got from childhood and took into my relationships and ruined all my relationships because that's how I learned. I learned from people that weren't very in very healthy spaces. My mom was a people pleaser, had no boundaries and enabled the alcoholic abuser in the family. And of course, my masculine, quote, masculine role model was, you know, this person that was very toxic. And so I didn't know how to be a healthy person in a relationship. So I ruined a lot of those relationships. When I started all that healing, that's when I realized, wow, I was doing all this behavior, kind of the other way around. I realized I was doing all this behavior, ruining my relationships, and I started healing Mm. because I wanted to work on this stuff and stop ruining my life. How hard is it to recognize that? I mean, I imagine that some of that was consistent, the toxicity of, of what you learned growing up, and then you're in these relationships. And, you know, sometimes when our behavior isn't something we recognize, even when it's right in our face, we can see it in our kids, we can see it in our friends, we can see it in everybody else, but it's really hard to take that mirror and and stand in it because then you're, you're showing it to yourself. And I, I'm really curious how how it kind of unfolded for you. At what point and, and how, and, and maybe it'll shed some light for Kinsey of, of like how people wake up and realize they want something different. Yeah. I believe when you are carrying around all this dysfunction, then, and you may not know that. I mean, this is what you're asking is how do you discover this? Where's the shift? How does it take place? I think what happened with, with me is that after my third or fourth or maybe fifth relationship, and especially after my marriage was starting to fail, uh, I realized that things keep happening to me. And that was my thought process. Things keep happening to me. And so I decided that in in order to figure this out, 
why these things keep happening to me. I meet, I need to take responsibility for my role in everything that happens to me. Come on accountability. That's so important. I know. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? I, l- <laughs> let me tell you something, Paul. You are you are speaking to someone who did a lot of a lot of that. How how could this keep happening to me? Why does this keep happening yeah. to me? My therapist, her name is Beth. We talk about her a lot sometimes. But um she said to me once that I had finally I'm I'm going to forget she it was eloquent and beautiful when she said it. So just let let my rugged little <laughs> Crazy brain. Yes, it's good. But basically she was saying that self-actualization can only come and like who you really want to be can only come when you learn accountability, right? And I had been with Beth for over a decade. So she knows me very well, (laughs) right? She's, she's seen me through it all. And, um, you know, the recently at 36, I had one of those, those conversations. It was mind blowing. And I said, you know, Beth, I keep looking at all these things that have happened. and, And while I never poured, you know, never poured oil on the fires to to make it bigger. I also didn't pour water on them, right? Like there was a role that I played, even if it was responding, because not everything deserves a response right. or, you know, feeding into something. And she said, it was that moment where she said, well, look at where we are. It's taken 10 years. but And, <laughs> and she said it also wasn't something for her to give to me. It was something that I had to kind of land on my own. And I was like, Beth, you knew the answer and you couldn't have told me that 10 years ago, but I, you know, 10 years ago, I wasn't ready. But that accountability piece is huge. So what was that? What was that accountability piece for you? Was there a, like a that or it was just kind of looking back over all the things? Well, I when I got married and we were, ma- well, the person I met that I was going to marry, we, we were together for four years. Then we got married and about two or three years into it, um, she was conveying all this pain or hurt or suffering that she was in. And she would say things that I was doing, but there was just no way that she was right. That was my thought process. There's ah. no way she was right. And I think when, you know, I, I call myself a former healing, emotionally abusive person, <laughs> I was a very toxic person back then. I was still, I had a lot of good qualities too. So I can't put myself down all the way, but definitely had problems. And when I when she started saying all the stuff that was happening to her, I finally asked myself the question, and, and this is the crux of what you're asking is, where did this question come from? Um, what am I doing to cause these problems? Or what is my responsibility? What is my role in these problems that are happening? Um, the shift started happening when I noticed that my wife was not as happy and unhappier day after day. She was more and more mm-hmm. unhappy day after day. And I would I would always be not blaming, but pointing at her as the problem and she needs to fix herself. That was my take on it all the time. Mm-hmm. But there was something that she said probably about a year into our relationship, or at least after the marriage started, which was my behavior as acting like a little boy which is very interesting because she goes, you know, I feel like I'm married to a little boy. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? I'm, I'm in my thirties. I'm not a little boy. And she mm-hmm. goes, you never, you never ask or you never tell me what you want. You always ask for permission for what you want. So here I was coming in as the people pleaser who knew how to make people feel guilty for not getting what I want. And I was using all these terrible behaviors and patterns. Yeah. And so when she said that, 
it started my quest about learning about myself and trying to understand what boundaries are and trying to stand up for myself, learning how to do that. And so I went to the library and I was looking, or not the library, the bookstore. I was looking for books on, um, I don't know if it was manipulation. It was some conversation that we had that made me think that I must be doing something or I need to look at myself in some other way. So I started mm-hmm. looking at books on, I don't know what it was, but the book on manip- manipulation came up and I saw qualities of a manipulator that I had. So I think I started looking up things about personal boundaries and that went into manipulation. And then I read this book and there were three categories of manipulators that I fit into out, wow. of, out of like seven or eight. And I'm thinking- And honestly, it's not your me. fault. The environment that you were raised in literally molded that. No kidding. I mean- But you have to, but you have to unlearn it, right? Like you have to unlearn it. And it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm, I, I want to take it to Kinsey real quick because yeah. I, I see this, con- this connection. So what I'm hearing, maybe not explicitly, but what I'm feeling is that I really thought coming into this conversation, and I'm not sure why, but I thought that there was going to be like a more tangible thing. Like you pack the bags, <laughs> you pull up the damn car. Right. Because listen, Paul, I'm not the friend you call do like nobody. Uh, this is just a, a PSA to everyone listening, helpers out there. I am going to be as transparent as possible. I am not at that stage yet. I am not at the stage to answer the phone and not have judgment, mm. right? I'm not there um, because I, I am so loyal to a fault and I, I am mama bear and it, my instinct is to get you out of there. Now I know, and I believe everything that you're saying, Paul, I believe that that, I mean, I even said it, that could cause the person to isolate. It could do all these things. I know that. And still, please don't call me when somebody puts their hands on you because I'll be the first person to be like, get the hell out. We got to go. I'm pulling up. And that might not be what you need, but but I, I understand that. So I'm hearing so much of what you're saying. I could really hear it in Kinsey's voice. And I'm wondering that, Maybe the bigger focus, right? When we're dealing with someone, I'm having a revelation. It might be way off base and you're the professional. So you let me know. But I'm feeling it. So I'm going with it, Paul, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering now if all those years I spent really trying to get my mom out of a relationship or keeping all the, the, the guilt or the anger towards her or even the anger towards my dad, if I should have turned it inward and started healing <laughs> mm. first, as opposed to putting all my energy towards, hey, mom, you leave. Hey, dad, you're an asshole. Mm. And then completely took myself out of the equation. Because what I'm hearing you say about your story is that clearly you were deeply impacted by the abuse in your household. And, you know, it took, is is wife still wife or is wife ex-wife? Wife I, is ex-wife. I'm in okay. a great relationship now, but... Great. The I'm happy to hear taught that. me a lot. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad. I just didn't want to call her wife if she was That's not. Okay. So when when ex-wife dropped, um, you know, that comment on you and it pushed you to really like look inward, um, you know, that was where your healing started and you, you it really made a difference. And I think that's probably where all the wake up happened. Like, you know now that you can't force your mom out of her relationship. And I'm wondering if for Kinsey, that's where she can find some peace. Because obviously, Kinsey has stated that this isn't the first time. And it is a very difficult thing to see your mom being abused, right? And so maybe 
Maybe the focus shouldn't be like, hey, I got to I got to get mom out of here. Maybe the focus should be like you said, I have to support mom and maybe I should try to make sure I'm good too because I've seen a lot. We need to take a break, but we will be right back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. are back talking with Paul Coliani, who I absolutely love, about how we can help the people we love who are in abusive relationships. Let's get back into it. You brought up something that we didn't even touch on, which was the physical abuse part. And the physical abuse part is definitely a different element. And it is possible that the mama bear could be the one that needs to step in and make it stop if someone's life is in danger. Oh, great. Thank you, Paul, because I need that. I'm, I'm telling <laughs> you, Paul, like, that's me. I don't play. I'm not, no, don't, no, that's good. don't put your that's... hands on my child or a friend of mine. Like, if if, if hands are put on, I'm Mama Bear and I will be there with, Yeah, that, I, I don't care. That's a different scenario. And I know Kinsey mentioned that. Um, one of the things that, I mean, back up a little bit. I actually had to... Um, uh, interrupt a domestic violence issue once where I, wow, some woman was screaming when we were living in an apartment complex and she was screaming and crying and crying and crying. And I went down there, I was in my socks and she was out her door and she wouldn't tell what was going on, but I looked inside and I can see the father holding the son and he just kind of looked upset and I don't know. But then I looked inside and there was food all over the ceiling and I think she had a bruise on her arm, so I knew something terrible happened, and uh, I just I just stepped in and we took her out. And it was it's a very dangerous situation when you yeah. walk into something like that. But at the same time, somebody I mean something kicks in inside of you to protect someone when there is I mean for some people when there is a possibility that their life is in danger. Yeah, not everyone can do this. Not everyone can step in on that. So I think that's a separate thing. When somebody's mm-hmm. life is in danger and it's real and there's Then the intervention is necessary. Then an intervention is a great word for it. Is you just intervene and do your thing. I can't recommend that to everyone. It's a very dangerous, and police say yeah. that it's the, one of the most dangerous situations to get involved in. Um, so that is certainly a, a different scenario. I'm so glad you made that clarification, Paul, because that's really important. And, yes. you know, I'm not a professional in any of that way, you know. So it's really important that you made that distinction. And I just want to say thank you for that because because we want people to walk away and understand that abuse looks very different ways, you know. And not everybody understands that. To to some people, 
Some people are in complete emotionally abusive relationships and have no idea that that's what it is because in their mind, abuse is only physical. Right, exactly. So I really, really appreciate you making that clarification and that distinction because I want to make sure that people understand abuse looks very, very many ways. There, there's so many ways that abuse manifests. Yeah, I, and yeah, I'm glad we talked about that too. It's like if you're walking down the street and you see a senior citizen, somebody comes up and punches them in the face and starts beating them up. Are you going to say, well, you know, they need to take care of their own. <laughs> they need to take care of themselves. They'll figure right. it out. Are they going to walk away from this relationship if it's a relationship? No. As the papa bear, if you want to call me that, I would step yes. in and say, get the F off that person. You need to back off. And I would restrain them in any way I possibly could. That's me. Doesn't mean everyone should do this, but everyone probably needs to know that somebody does need to step in when the physical harm is real. And that doesn't mean every time, again, in someone's relationship, it's a domestic violence dispute. Police don't even want to walk in the door because it's so dangerous. So you just have to be aware. And that's a different conversation for sure. Yeah. But swinging it back to what you were saying about, um, is it better to like um, back off or how can you support someone? I think there's a difference between an intervention where you step in and say, I'm taking care of this. You know, you as the mama bear, we're getting you out of here right now. I think the problem with that is when when you're not talking about physical abuse and real threat in the moment is that when you do that for someone, the decision isn't self-made. It isn't self-initiated. Somebody else came in and made it for them. And what yeah. I've what I've found more often than not is when you make a decision for someone because you believe it's the right thing to do, it doesn't stick quite often. It just doesn't stick. And they end up back with the person, even though you help them get out of it. This is why I look at the threshold of somebody reaching that point where they simply can't take it anymore. And I'm sure that so many people can relate to this. There's a point where you reach where something is happening to you, where it gets so frustrating, so irritating, overwhelming, overwhelmingly so, to the point where you just say, I don't care anymore. You know what? Yep. Take it all. I don't care anymore. You know what? Do anything you want to me. I don't care anymore. I don't know if, how many people have reached that. I've reached that in my life mm-hmm. where I simply didn't care what you did anymore at all. And at that point, that was the, the moment of lasting change and healing for me. Yeah. And if somebody can get, and when they get to that point, that's when they never go back. That's when they... Ugh. <laughs> I love it. That's so important. I agree. I agree. But it, it's imp- it's very hard for us enablers and former enablers or people pleasers yep. or the people that the people we really love when we see them get hurt. It's very hard to prevent or stop ourselves from pulling them out of that situation. Because as soon as we pull them out, now they don't have enough experience or wisdom to stay out because we pull them out early. Completely. And the other thing is, is sometimes you pull them out and if where they were was all their resources, like, are you taking them on? Are, do you, yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, are yeah. you going to be the person who's responsible for them? Because there's a lot of things at play, right? Like yeah. people want to save people, but don't understand what comes completely with saving someone. Yeah. And like you said, if someone's not independent and can't, I mean, obviously we would all take people in, but 
there's just so much that comes with that, the emotional healing side of it, um, just making your way out of such a devastating situation. I can't imagine the amount of therapy that needs to happen with someone who's lived through that. No, I know. Right? I know. Yes, I agree. And at the same time, you know, if it's your mom, your dad, you'll probably do anything for them. You know, if it's yeah. somebody you love and you care about and, and you bring them into your home, I'll do anything for you. You know, I'll take care of you. But do they now have enough self-empowerment to realize I was in a bad situation? I'll never go back to that again because it takes s- small steps, even large steps for someone to build a uh, an intolerance for something they no longer want in their life. And if that intolerance isn't great enough, they will go right back because they were more comfortable being abused than uncomfortable not knowing what to expect the next day. Uh, and I think that's, that's so— That's that threshold, right? It is. It's that threshold. But if you don't know what's happening the next day, you're out of control. But if you know that you're going to be emotionally abused and that's just what they do, unfortunately, some people think that way about physical abuse too. But if you know that the abuse is coming the next day, at least you know what the abuse is and that you've lived wow. the day before and you'll live again. Yeah, because the unknown is scary as it hell. Is. Yeah. And they don't want to deal Ugh. with it. They don't want to face it. And my mom faced that for 40 years. She did not know what to expect if she left. And she never said she was scared of what he would do, which was interesting to me. She was just scared. She was just scared. And what you said was 40 years. Yeah. With love, like, how could anyone expect her to leave after 40 years? Right? Like, 40 years of the same thing. Um Consistency is a really big deal, regardless of if it's really awful consistency or really beautiful consistency. People value consistency. And 40 years Mm. is consistent as fuck. (laughs) Like, that's crazy, right? And so, you know, I I empathize with your mom because because I I understand being stuck. Yeah. And feeling stuck. And I empathize with Kinsey and her mom as well. I do too. It's hard. Very difficult. And I think, you know, when my mom ended up getting a divorce, but she didn't initiate it. Actually, it was my stepfather that initiated it, which was surprising. He eventually left her because— Hold up, hold up, hold up, Paul. (laughs) You did not just say what the hell I thought you said. So I just want to—I need— Bring it back. I I thought what I heard you say was, after 40 years— Yeah. Of her taking his shit, he mm. decided he was going to walk away? He Well, there's a little preamble to this. The, the preamble is he had been listening to her say how much she hates him for many, many years. Uh-huh. So she had been poisoning the milk, so to speak, for many years, filling his head with, with the idea that he's with somebody that he claims to love over and over again but she can't stand to be around him. Now, his transition, just really quick, his transition occurred when he found some fake person on the internet and started sending her money. Oh, God. And he got sucked into this scam, and he's probably still part of this scam, but now he's getting his his uh, supply of what he believes to be love and affection from someone that he's never met. So this oh my gosh this steered him away from searching for that love and affection from the person he was with so i think that scenario is very unique in in the the sense that he finally moved out of the house she was happy about that and um 
she's doing okay. I, I mean, 40 years is, is interesting. So it's very interesting. And, and it could feel like a withdrawal, I imagine. It was, here's the thing. After he left, I, we both knew how much she hated him and hated being with him. And I asked her as a joke, hey, if he came back, would you take him back? And it was a total joke. You know where I'm going. She said, or similar, something similar to this. She said, I don't know. I, I don't know. I might. I thought, yeah. what? <laughs> you're, 40 you're years finally though, Paul. Free. You're finally uh-huh. free. And, oh, my goodness. And I was shocked. And I said, really? And so I just yeah, decided. sometimes you can't ask things you don't want to really know the truth <laughs> no, about, well, Paul. Here's something I learned about this is that I asked her that and I realized that she is still in this haze. She's still in this fog of abuse for all these years for her to think like that. Uh, a, it wasn't her decision that he left. He, yep, you're that empowering piece exactly, that you've been talking about. Exactly. You said that if you can't make the decision for people, and he did, he walked he did. away, it wasn't her. He so did. after all of that, you know, maybe maybe she was building up to to finally walk away, but he did it, and that kind of put her in a position of, damn, Yeah, you know, because he took the power away. It happened to her instead of her initiating it. She wanted it to happen, but she didn't know what to do once it happened. So once he left, I, and this is something I've noticed over and over again in many relationships, abusive relationships, is that once he left, within two months, she still felt this way, like maybe I'd take him back. But there was another threshold that happens after you're out of an emotionally abusive or any abusive relationship is that I've noticed between two and four months, typically less, two months, uh, the person who's been victimized all that time will snap out of it. The, the trance will end. They will finally, the fog will lift. Their brain will be clear. And then they will ask themselves, what the hell was I thinking? Why did I yeah. stay so long? I cannot, I would never, and this is what she told me, I would never take them back, ever. Why yeah. would I, why would I even consider that? And she shifted from who she was for all that time into this newly empowered person. Yes, mom. Oh my gosh, that just gives me, listen, I just went on a whole journey with your mom. So Mm. I, you know, that, I needed that. I needed that, Paul, Mm. because I needed her to find her own, stand on those two feet. She has all those kids. She spent 40 years in an awful relationship. She deserves to Mm. have freedom. And even when he left, she wasn't free. No. No, not and so she's she's free now. She she's better than free. She's oh in her. She's like seventy five. She spent uh, at least about two years or more as a single woman living in a house, happy, 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 because oh. she did not she did not want a relationship ever again. And then out of the blue, this young guy saw her. Stop. <laughs> and she got a new boo. Oh my God, Paul, you're giving me life. Okay, so this, this is what Mom happens. Has a new- new friend what happened when you clear up all the crap in your life and you start oh. living life on your terms you manifest good things this is what happened to her and she she said this guy saw her before she used to take things to the dump and this guy at the dump saw her and he said i i want to ask her out this is the story they told me i want to ask her out so bad and so he said that one day i just mustered up the courage and i went to ask her in a parking lot if she wanted coffee one day and she said oh okay and my mom called me and told me about this new guy and how everything yes. was going well. And and even now, he treats her like a queen. Come through. I don't know new man's name, but we are here for him. <laughs> Listen, she deserves that. She does. 
She does. She deserves that. And I am so, oh my goodness, that, that gives us it, awesome It makes hope. me tear and, up every time I talk about it. Oh, my heart. <laughs> you just took us on a whole journey, Paul. Uh-huh. And I really hope that, you know, Kenzie can find some, some peace. I hope that Kenzie's mom can find her freedom because yeah. it, it's, this is such a emotional roller coaster for everyone involved. Because, you know, abuse doesn't just impact the person who's being abused. It, it impacts everyone who loves that person, everyone who is around, the kids, the family, and, and things like that. And I know that uh, tangibility is really hard in this conversation, but if we were to have something tangible or one tangible thing that we could give to Kinsey, even if it's that she's not alone, right? Because she's not, clearly. She has, she ha- you have a similar story. I definitely have a similar story. And- you know, we want her first to know that she's not alone. And is there anything else that we can give her besides that? I, I love what you said about um, pulling back, right? Yeah. Which is really hard, but I really love what you said about that. But what else can you offer to Kinsey as she um, continues on this journey? Because her journey isn't where mine is and her journey is not where yours is. So right. how do we help her where meet her right where she's at? And, and give her a little bit of, I guess, some peace, maybe? Yeah. Try? Yeah. I, I think it's important to know that we look at the pulling back piece as something that we think is not helpful. But what it ends up being is more helpful in the long run. Um, so the first tangible piece of this is that when you pull back, you're actually giving more. Mm, come on. That is, say it again, Paul. And when you pull back, you're actually giving more. You're giving them yeah. more guidance. You're giving them more support. You're becoming the solid rock of support that they need, that they know they can rely on. And, you know, again, we're talking about most abusive situations, not physical abuse. So if we're going to look at this, I know her mom's in a physically abusive situation. Um, it was downplayed in the way that I heard it. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's another situation. But if her mom's choosing, first of all, her mom's an adult, she can make these choices, even though she might be in this haze or this trance. But by backing off and providing this safe place, this zone, this judgment-free zone for her mom to be and say anything that she wants. Safe space. Just provide that safe space. What you end up doing is building empowerment in that person. You are building that power. If you're always offering the solution, always offering help, what you end up doing is taking their power away because they lose access to it. So by backing off, it's probably not the best term, but just allowing them to be who they are, be the individual they are. No, Because this is what I did with my mom. When I did this with my mom, I noticed that she started crying more, which is a big energy release. She started saying more. She started Ooh. swearing more. She started being angrier. And... So you'd think that- She oh was my, feeling. She Mom was, was probably exactly. numb for a long time. Yes. She started feeling it. Yes, exactly. Wow. Exactly. And when I backed off and allowed her to be this person and release all this energy inside of her, she was finally accessing some deeper stuff. And we don't often, as wanting to help that person, we don't often help them get to that point because we are interrupting that process by moving forward, by trying to be uh, helpful in their space. But we end up helping them more by staying back and saying, I'm here for you or just being there for them in that way. 
And that helps them, that empowers them, that builds strength and power inside of them to make make it to the point where the threshold gets closer and closer so that they can finally make that decision. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, it'll be tomorrow. It, it might be a month. It might be a year. But it might be when you're 75 years old and be. find a new boo, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but don't let that dis- discourage you because the day you start doing it is the day it starts empowering the person. Oh, I love that. Um, one of the things that I pride myself in is that I like to pull out really awesome quotes from people. <laughs> one of the quotes um, came from a fourth grade grandmother. So I wasn't, I was a, I'm a, four, I'm a teacher when I'm not a podcast host, right? When I'm not helping, well, I guess I'm helping humans in both. Yes, you are. (laughs) When I'm helping humans in the classroom, um, a grandma last year, a a grandmother of a a fourth grader said something and she said, you know, honey, you just have to manifest the victory and I've never forgotten it. And I was like, you damn right I do, right? (laughs) And so I keep that that one tucked away and every time I'm struggling, I think manifest the victory. And as somebody who loves extremely hard and who's extremely loyal and who wants to solve everyone's problems and fix everything. And I have, I come from a big family too, Paul. Sure. I I got five brothers and two (laughs) sisters, okay? So just big, big, big family. But something you said, today is one of those little lines that I'm going to tuck away to for in those moments where I want to fix everything in my family, whatever that is. And I'm going to remind myself that when you pull back, you're actually giving them more because saving my brothers is something I'm good at, but that means they're not saving themselves, mm. right? You're right on. And I've had a lot of people save me in my life. And you're absolutely right about that empowerment piece because every single time someone saved me, I was relieved. But Paul, when I saved myself, oh, you couldn't tell me nothing. Like I, I'm a different person. I'm grounded. I feel free. And, and I yeah. want that so bad for Kenzie's mom. I see that your mom got that freedom and it's beautiful. And I just want to say thank you so much for being who you are, Paul. I have been in media and I have spoken to many of people for 15 years. And this has been one of my most favorite conversations. Wow. You have such a peaceful beautiful energy. I'm glad I know this Paul, not crazy-ass toxic Paul from back when. <laughs> so does my girlfriend. But She's glad too. Listen, yes. Tell, tell your girlfriend, me and her, like, I get it because <laughs> I don't friends. want nothing to do with his ass. But you, Paul, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you made it to, to where you are now. And Thank I you. know that Kenzie, um, hopefully, will get something out of our conversation. We send our love and our light to Kenzie's mom. I send my love and light to your mom and her boo. I'm so excited. (laughs) And Paul, I just genuinely thank you for this beautiful conversation and all of your, um, all of your, your charming wit. Yes. I am honored. Thank you for all those words. I am honored to meet you and I'm so happy to be a part of this too. Okay, there was so much that happened with that conversation. First and foremost, I just have to say that Paul really is one of my favorite people I've ever met as an adult. Just wow. I love this podcast because it always does that. It, it drops somebody in my lap who's going to help somebody else, but I always wind up just, wow, wasn't he fantastic? So he said a lot of great things too. I really hope that Kenzie can walk away with some tangible things. I really hope that Kenzie's mom finds peace in herself. Um, in life in general. And gosh, I am inspired as hell by Paul's mom. I know I'm not the only one, right? Little 75-year-old firecracker. I am here for it. Um, As you move forward, 
I think it would be a disservice not to name that so many of us know somebody who has been in an emotional or physical abusive relationship. We can't save people. We can love people through it. It's not our job to save people, and I know that that sucks. I know that that hurts, because when you love someone, all you want to do is protect them. All you want to do is save them from harm, keep them safe, lock them up so that the world and all the ugly things of the world and hell, all the ugly people in the world don't impact them. But if we learn one thing from this conversation, you can't save people who are not ready to be saved. But it doesn't mean that you can't support them. It's hard to support people who continue to do things that harm them. I am fully aware, friends. Grace. Give yourself grace because it's going to be hard. And give them grace. Because what they're living through is hard. We are all going through something and we have to show each other grace. Now, if you know someone in a physically abusive relationship, remember what Paul said, that is a different story. And sometimes we absolutely have to intervene. But that emotional abuse, sometimes, what did Paul say? He said, pulling back, you're actually giving them more. Pull back, friends. Pull back and give more. I'm going to keep that one in my back pocket. I would like to thank Paul for his time. He was so amazing. I also want to thank Kinsey for her question and the vulnerability and transparency that she shared. Sending so, 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 so much love to your mama. If you have a question that you would like us to answer, send us an email at podcast at stillkicking.co or DM us on Instagram. It's at haho podcast. That's at H-A-H-O-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Help a Human Out is produced by Emma Martins and Red Yoakum of Red Rock Music and is brought to you by Still Kickin'. I'm your host, Miss Danielle. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.